Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. It's a, not the regular Peristyle Podcast. This is the Recruiting Blast version of the Peristyle Podcast, talking all about USC football recruiting with uscfootball.com's national recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez, on the line. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing okay. Fighting the flu, as everybody else is, but just pushing through. Pushing through, Gerard. All right, well, we don't, we don't want to get you uh, injured here. We don't want you uh, out of action because a lot of stuff is going on in the world of recruiting. And there's been some news uh, since we came back from our trip to San Antonio. So it was a lot of fun down there, although it was definitely a lot of work. Uh, why don't we just jump right into some questions, Gerard? Here's a voicemail one. Hey, Ryan, my question is, why do we have so many early enrollees? I thought that we were only allowed three, and um, does this, all these early enrollees, does this affect the reason why Abe is not allowed to come back under scholarship? And it also explains a lot of the recruiting craziness that's going on with Cali Fitz. Uh, can you explain what's going on? Thanks. And he was in a laser lab, apparently, when he asked that question, so that was... Yeah. Was like... The better question would be, why are you operating a leaf blower while calling in on a voicemail question? I gave more of a scientific thing. You said it was a leaf blower. Okay, go ahead. That's what it sounded like to me. It didn't, I don't know, laser lab, I guess I've never been in one of those, so I don't know how they sound. I've been around leaf blowers, and that's exactly how it sounded. Uh, USC could take more than three early enrollees. It's just that only three early enrollees can count towards the 2012 class. So when we say... You know, they're bringing in early players that can count back, so it allows them to bring in more players than the class permits. And obviously with the NCAA sanctions, each class, uh, technically you're only able to bring in 15 per class. So you're bringing in 15 for the 2013 class, but you're adding three that go towards the 2012 class. That's because USC fell three short of signing a full class last year. So that's really where that three goes. But in terms of the guys that are able to enroll, as many guys can enroll as you have you know, overall uh, spots available on the roster. So USC has 75 scholarships to give. So as long as you're under that 75, you can bring more guys in as early enrollees. Right. And then so there's the issue there with the Kylie Fitz thing was that there was supposed to be X amount of people graduating. And it looks like one or two kind of fell short. Um, you, you can't go over 75 at any time right now. So it's a problem because of the sanctions. Uh, but you can replace an early enrollee uh, can come in and take the spot of someone that's graduating and coming off the books there. So if someone graduates, they were normally part of the 75 for the year, then an early enrollee can kind of take their spot. But if they're not graduated and you, you run out of eligibility, you still count all the way up through the summer. So it's a it's an all-year thing. Uh, it's a headcount sport and football. And if you count for one day of the year, you count for the whole year. And the only exception being is if guys graduate and then they, then they come off the book. So it seems like with the Kylie Fitz thing, that's what ended up happening. They thought someone else was going to graduate. Didn't happen. And so now they can't bring in as many guys early as they thought. They still want to bring in Kylie Fitz. But at this point, it looks like he's going to have to come in in the fall if he does decide to recommit. I have a feeling we're going to have more Kylie Fitz questions, so I'm not even going to get into Kylie Fitz right now. <laughs> <laughs> some more Kylie Fitz. Well, we can look. I'm sure we have some Kylie Fitz questions here. Um, let me take a look and see. GM, could you please fully explain the Kylie Fitz situation? As long as he's class of 2013 guy and he can't play until the 2013 season, why does the NCAA care? when he enrolls what is the limit on early enrollees so i guess i kind of explained a little bit of that but you can reiterate yeah you, you kind of touched on it uh, a bit why it's important is because obviously he could come in for spring ball and he could participate in spring ball 
So that's an advantage to be able to come in and get those weeks of practice and to be on the team, to acclimate the school, and then to go right into that smooth transition in their summer and be able to work out with the team. It's not a huge, huge advantage, uh, but it is an advantage. And with that situation, what basically happened is that um, you know, USC only has so many early enrollee spots because, as Ryan talked about, that overall 75 uh, was capped because there were two seniors that were supposed to evidently graduate early and be a semester ahead, and they were not able to get the classes done uh, that they were supposed to to be able to get out. So while they're not eligible to be in spring ball and they've you know relinquished their eligibility for football, they still have one more semester that they are on scholarship because scholarships are renewed yearly, not by semester. So those spots are not available for Kylie Fitch. USC decided to go and tell Kylie Fitch, listen, um, you, you, we don't have room for you. Obviously, I think the the bigger issue is who you take early and who you don't take early. Uh, I think with Kylie Fitz, there was three things that came in to play with he being the odd man out of those early enrollees. One, he's local. He can be at USC still. He can go down to spring ball still and be around the team still. Two, he's a huge Trojan fan, and I think just from a you know gambling standpoint, if someone was to understand and to be able to, you know, feel some type of, okay, I want to help the team and, and I'm going to take one for the team and, and be a guy that would kind of realize the bigger picture with this class and trying to get in other guys in early, they probably felt that Kylie Fitz was one of those kids that would understand that. And three, I think, you know, with him breaking his wrist and, and having that injury, you know, that's going to be something that he may have to rehab from a little bit still. And with that said, uh, maybe he doesn't come in and play a whole lot in spring football. So he's going to be sitting around a little bit. And, you know, if they can bring somebody else in that can actually play and participate more in spring football at need positions, they want to go ahead and bring those guys in first. So I think that's basically how it played out. Uh, USC, you know, kind of played played the cards there. And, and it looks at this point that they played them wrong because Kylie Fitch took – uh, this is a is a quote unquote betrayal according to his head coach, and felt like there's trust issues now with USC because they promised him he could come in as an early enrollee, and now he's not going to be able to come in as an early enrollee. So he's going to continue to consider USC. We're not sure if he's going to be able to get in early at another school. Uh, if he waits until February, it gives USC some time to kind of get back into the picture and maybe you know go ahead and re-recruit him. The other caveat there is that. Right now, Kenny Bigelow has yet to be cleared by the NCAA for early enrollment. So there could actually be a spot there that's still open for one of those early enrollees. Maybe too little too late to come back to Fitz and say, look, Kenny Bigelow didn't get in. We're going to try to get you in now. We'll have to see how that goes. Um, but right now, it, it definitely seems like um, a falling out, and, and it definitely uh, it, it was it was it was just one another one of those things that. Uh, you know this recruiting class just couldn't couldn't really bear another decommitment from a guy that nobody really saw coming as a decommit. Um, we can follow that up from with Andrew Thousand Oaks. Uh, it sounds like a lot of feelings were hurt. Yes, during the Kylie Fitment uh, Kylie Fitz decommitment. What exactly could the staff has done to drive away the player who was quite possibly the biggest USC fan among all the recruits? That's Andrew and Thousand Oaks. I don't know that it's anything the staff did. I mean, obviously they have to be upfront with him and honest with him about uh, there not being enough spots there. And if you're looking at this rationally and reasonably, you know, you've got Leon McQuaid. You can't leave Leon McQuaid dangling out there for another couple of weeks if he wants to enroll early. Um, you got to get him in, and you you got you got to get him secured away. Uh, you got to try to get Bigelow secured away, and, and the other guys, you know, Chris Hawkins, those guys they committed earlier than fit. So it's just a it's just a matter of trying to make sure you get as many guys in this class that you feel, uh, you know, are early guys, secure their commitments, and don't have them out there to where you have other schools trying to get them on visits, trying to change their mind because, you know, you still have that with you know, a, a group of guys that aren't going to come in and sign actually until February. So those are battles that still have to be waged. You know, Jason Hatcher, USC's trying to get Eddie Vanderdose back. Uh, Tarodney Prevo, these guys are still going to take some visits. And USC still has to keep on top of those guys, even though 
all of these guys, quote-unquote, verbally committed in July, and we said it in July. It's just, you know, it doesn't mean anything until you get to January, and it really, I don't understand from a strategic standpoint what the advantage was in trying to get all these guys committed in July. Um, obviously, you had them committed, and you're trying to keep them committed instead of trying to turn them in July. And maybe, you know, Link Kiffin knew that this season wasn't going to go the way everybody thought it was going to go, and it was better at that point to get those guys committed and then play the season out and hope that those guys gel together. Uh, it's hard to, to, to say, but at the end of the day, regardless, you know that January, anybody that's out there that's, you know, still has to sign in February, January becomes a huge month and crazy things happen. I mean, we saw, you know, Alabama go out there and blow uh, Notre Dame off the TV set, and then they had one of their top guys, Demarcus Walker, turn around and decommit from Alabama and enroll at Florida State. It just, it, you know, recruiting is crazy, and you know, you have to, uh, you have to kind of understand that going in and realize that uh, there's going to be some things that happen that don't necessarily make sense, and you, you know, USC just has to keep plugging away. The season did not go well for USC, and I think you know that has definitely impacted things to some extent. Uh, because you have such negative press and, uh, you know, the bowl game against the team that they should have blown out, they end up losing to Georgia Tech. Again, that happened when a lot of these kids were at the Army All-American Bowl. You get a lot of peer pressure, a lot of kids looking at each other going, why in the world would you go to USC? I mean, that that's terrible. They, they they only scored seven points against Georgia Tech, which was one of the worst defenses in college football. So now, you know, you got players kind of looking at each other going, well, why are we committed? It becomes a whole <laughs> thing. So the coaches have to get back on their own visits, which they're going to start doing this week. And you got to get that big official visit weekend under your belt. And we saw, you know, it, things look really bad for USC going into that December 7th uh, official visit weekend. And then once they got those guys in, talked to them, sat down with them one-on-one, Lane Kiffin had those conversations with them, you saw those guys basically reconfirm their commits and, and came out of that weekend really, really pretty positive about USC. So there's another weekend here that we have that we're going to go through with January 18th where you're going to have, you know, the rest of the committed recruits come in and then a handful of guys that are uncommitted, and we'll see what happens out of that weekend. You know, you've got a couple of weeks after that before signing day, and that's really going to be the make or break. That's the fourth quarter. That's the real 11th hour of recruiting, and we'll see if you know, USC has some more fallout, some more decommitments, or they're actually able to get some guys. You know, it's just time will tell. Okay. Uh, Mark wants to know, he said, in reviewing our roster, there are several redshirt juniors that haven't seen much playing time to date and are unlikely to see playing time next year. I'm wondering if they might be, quote unquote, encouraged to graduate early and transfer to school where they're likely to play. And he was feeling that, and this is incorrect, by the way, you could get extra early enrollees if you get some juniors to come off the list. Um, he, He was asking about uh, if you would be under 75 scholarships, could you bring in extra, you know, for each class, or is the 18 the absolute limit? And, uh, Mark, there is an initial limit, but Gerard can explain that. Yeah, the initial counters, and, and yeah, you cannot bring in more uh, because there's not more from that 2012 class. Uh, those are the guys that you, you would have to have not had signed or, or something would have had to happen to them to where they would have created room because you can only roll back one year. So that's basically – you know, why you can't, you can't go back into the coffers of the 2010 class and the 2009 class because you had somebody leave early or transfer and then build up numbers for the 2013 class. Yeah. And I think Frank and Orlando kind of had a, a thing on that too. So, yeah. So, um, and it was similar to, he was talking about the juniors and leaving. I don't think you need to really worry about how many people are leaving and keeping under that 75. That seems like it's going to work itself out. The real problem right now is the initial counters, um, so, Frank, yeah, don't don't worry about that. Don't worry about how many people are leaving and things like that. I think that's going to be okay. They're not going to they're going to bring in as a full class. So, you don't need to worry about that. They'll they'll figure out the roster and like maybe there's some juniors that are encouraged to leave or transfer or something like that. If something like that has to happen, that will happen, but they can't afford to not bring in as as big of a class as they can. And according to Gerard and myself, when we're looking at the numbers here, um, it looks like a class of 17, not a class of 18. And that is because Darius Rogers uh, does count as an initial counter. And same with uh, Silas Red when he transferred in. So those guys take up spots. And Darius Rogers was part of that early enrollee class from before, or for the class of 2012. He goes away. Silas Red ended up taking his spot. Um, and now he's back on the team. 
So the, that does count as an initial counter. So according to my count, and I think Gerard agrees with me, 17 more players, not including you know Darius Rogers and Silas Red. So there's not going to be 18 coming in, new guys. There'll be 17 coming in, according to to at least my calculations. It, it looks that way, and uh, you know there there is a possibility where it affects the incoming classes. We were talking about early enrollees, where somebody off that 75 ends up leaving and then you have an extra spot for an early enrollee not in the 18 it doesn't make 18 or doesn't make 17 18 or 18 19 it just means that instead of you know the three four five early enrollees you can bring in six early enrollees because now you have somebody off of that that 75 roster because somebody left early or you had a transfer there has been uh, a few moves here in the past couple of weeks I, evidently not enough moves because, I mean, they had to tell Kylie Fitz that he, you know, he didn't have a spot, but there seems to be a few moves. Uh, I'll break a little news here uh, just because, I don't know, I feel like it. Breaking news. Uh, it, 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 it sounds like uh, Devontae Wilson is no longer on the roster. I uh, talked to some people yesterday, and uh, with his two knee surgeries, evidently he was having some academic issues. Uh, I'm hearing he's no longer on the roster either. Um, but, again, that's one guy, and maybe that was not still enough off of that 75-man roster uh, to bring in a guy for spring. And so you have the situation with Kylie Fitz. Oh, interesting. All right, so Devontae Wilson, um, it was a very short career at USC. Didn't quite turn out. Came in late. Leaving early, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll check on the Peristyle. I'm sure we'll have more on um, on Devonte Wilson. Let's go to Jameson. He says, with a couple of spots left for the 2013 class, do you think Kiffin and company will close out with prospects we haven't seen that are still on the recruiting board? That's a good question. I, I don't I don't think they're going to come completely out of nowhere with guys. Um, I think you have to. You have to balance, you know, what room you have to take guys in this class and your standards. And they went in that one class, which was, I think, the 2011 class, 2010 class, where they took 30, 31 guys, and they grabbed some guys that they really shouldn't have grabbed. The guys were just scout team guys, basically, on scholarship. And now I think they're paying for that a little bit. They've got some guys there that really are not contributing a whole lot that are kind of still on the roster, and they just wanted to get those bodies, as many players as they could, would get to that 85 for that one year before they had to go to 75. And so I think you learn from that situation, and you, you don't take guys just to take guys. Um, you know, seven, 17 is not a big number, and so it's not like they have all these spots that they have to fill at the last minute. Um, there's a possibility we, we could see them not take more than, you know, 15, 16, because um, you could still, again, roll those guys over to 2014, and that 2014 class looks pretty good. They've already got three offensive linemen committed. Um, now you're working with 12 scholarships. Uh, if they feel like they could get more talent out of the 2014 class, that's a decision. That's something that they're going to have to uh, kind of project a little bit. Um, so, you know, there's – I don't think there's possibility that they're going to grab all these Juco guys and just random guys out of nowhere and, you know, yeah, you know, we got this guy committed. He's going to be great for us. And everybody's going, who the heck is this kid? We never heard of him. I, I just don't think so. I think there could be some plan Bs. There are maybe some, a, a couple guys there that they're looking at that they go, okay, you know, we, we might need to um, kind of reevaluate because we don't think we're going to get a player that we previously – you know, had committed or we thought we could get committed. Um, I think the guys that are kind of on the recruiting board, the guys that have been on the target list, that's kind of that's 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 where it's at right now. Those are the guys coming in on visits, and of course, you know, in order, in order to get guys in, it's probably best to be able to get them on an official visit. Last year, you did have Davion Shelton, that was kind of a last-minute guy that came in under the radar. And uh, USC had been recruiting him for a while, but nobody really thought he was going to be a guy that they would offer at the last minute, but they did. Um, you know, that, that there's a possibility of that happening, but I really think that, you know, at this point, just rolling back those, uh, those scholarships might actually be a better thing. Okay, let's go to Justin. Will Matthew Thomas give USC a real look? He looked great playing in space in the Under Armour game, and USC could really use some complete linebackers. Well, he will officially visit USC January 18th. So that's um, a pretty real look as far as going across the country and taking the official visit. Uh, and, uh, you know, when he's got Florida State and he's got Alabama, 
He's got Miami. He's got a few schools there that are closer to home. Uh, USC is that one school that's kind of outside of Florida that he's willing to go out and check out. So I would say he's giving him a real look. The chances of, of signing him, you know, are, are not tremendous at this point just because he hasn't officially visited. But we've talked to him, and in terms of, uh, you know, his disposition and personality, he's got his business. You know, he's all business. This is a business decision for him. He's looking at this uh, long-term, you know, as a as a football career, and he knows USC puts a lot of guys in the NFL. Uh, he feels like the exposure would be good, and, and maybe playing time would actually be pretty good for him. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Deion Bailey and whether he's going to play safety or he's going to play outside linebacker. Uh, so, you know, a guy like uh, Matthew Thomas may be able to sneak in and, and play as a true freshman. And uh, I, I think, you know, Leonard Williams and his success at USC has uh, spoken to a lot of players in Florida, and they feel, you know, a guy can go all the way across the country and make it and make it pretty big for USC. So I'd say that, yeah, he's given them a real look. They, they're going to get a real look. It just really depends on that official visit. And, um, and you know, the defensive coordinator, I think, at some point has to be in place. And I think they have to really to, to try to get some momentum going into signing day, get a guy, you know, right before at least, you know, they have that official visit weekend of the 18th. I think you want to have somebody there on campus that these kids can talk to and you can start to solidify, you know, some of that defensive class and then get this guy in on some in-home visits with Lane Kiffin. I think that's going to be pretty big. If USC can't do that, um, you're, you might see some more decommitments just because guys are uncertain and, and they don't know what the defense is going to be. And I think more than the problem of them being uncertain about the scheme and maybe the philosophy and, and playing for a guy that they, they don't know, I think it just creates another excuse for a kid to say, you know what, eh, it's just too many things right now that are uncertain with USC. I'm I'm going to go somewhere else. There's a little more certainty. And at this time of year, you start to see that. You start to see kids looking for excuses when they might be already wavering. Uh, Alex Enzaloni, the middle linebacker that was committed to Notre Dame for the longer, longest time, he flirted with Florida, went down to official visit with Florida, was back and forth with Florida for a long time. And now, you know, Brian Kelly goes and interviews with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Nobody's looking at him as a prime candidate for that job, but he just went and interviewed with the Philadelphia Eagles, and now Anzalone's like, oh, I'm going to go to Florida now. I, I, that's, that's the main reason. That's not a reason. That's an excuse. You were already looking to go to Florida, and now you've just found that straw that broke the camel's back. And so that, that's something else that with USC, you know, you come away with that bad season and, and some of the things that have gone on. You just want to try to get as many positive attributes lined up as possible and, and try to create some momentum. And uh, they had some momentum. You know, they got Leon McQuay. That was a big thing. And then it seemed like the Kylie Fitz situation just basically erased all that. So they got to get back on the, the positive side of things. And I think that's going to come with the defensive coordinator hire. Okay. Uh, which we don't have any news on. I keep People keep asking me, hey, is there any news? And I just want to say, yeah, I totally found out who the defensive coordinator was. I just forgot to tweet about it. Um, but yeah, thanks for asking. And yeah, I, now I can tell you. No, we don't know. Well, we did. We did have some news. I mean, we did have some scoop uh, that we posted on the Peristyle yesterday. And yes. uh, we won't talk about that too much here. But you know, if you got uscfootball.com subscription, then you you know kind of the latest what we're hearing with a few of the prime candidates, the guys that you know people have been discussing and the names that have been coming up you know more and more, and some of the names that have not been coming up, which I think was probably the most revealing and interesting part of uh, of that uh, Peristyle only post. Right. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Just as far as like, oh, did they hire someone yet? And like, yes, you you just haven't heard about it. We we decided not you to tell you. You just missed it. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's <laughs> it was go. Rex Ryan, and uh, you just missed it. Right. Yeah. Um, Rundy wants to know. He said, first, are Kenny Bigelow and Khalil Rogers early enrollees? The answer to that is no. Um, well, for Khalil Rogers, Kenny Bigelow, we already talked about not quite. We're they're waiting to see, um, waiting for NCAA clearance. Is that correct, Gerard? That's correct. Okay. Uh, then also. At one of the All-Star camps last week, Khalil Rogers, that would be the un, the Armory All-American Bowl, Khalil Rogers said that tackle uh, L. Tunsil was coming to USC. Any merit to that? He said, and it's sad about Fitz, but it's all part of the sanctions. Blame the NCAA. Is there any truth to that? Uh, you know, Laramie Tunsil had not actually um, – 
he's at this point he's not looking to officially visit USC. He's talked about his official visits Georgia, Alabama, Florida State, um, but USC is not in that conversation. Khalil Rogers was working on him a bit and talking to him a bit. I would probably bet against it at this point. I think, you know, Khalil was just talking to talk. Khalil was also talking about Alabama and all kinds of other schools, but they were just, you know, messing around on Twitter and, and Kenny was messing around on Twitter. And I think when kids get around each other like that and you have such uh, hype and, you know, that, that buzz going around about this school and that school and they see the reaction that the fans have at any little thing that they put on Twitter, you get those kind of comments. And so they're yeah. just having fun. Yeah, no, I think that's – that's the case there. Uh, let's go to Tim. Do you think that's possible that USC could recover Eddie Vanderdose and add a Sean Robinson? I'd be pretty impressed with Lane Kiffin if he could pull that off. Yeah, I, I think it's a possibility. Um, it's it's tough. You know, I've said it before. It's pretty rare for guys to decommit and then recommit to a school. Um, unless it's a decommit early in the process and then they commit to another school and then they decommit from that school and then they recommit. But at this point in the game, um, it's, it's sometimes hard to be able to get those kids back. We saw what happened with Max Redfield and, um, you know, USC had a good official visit with him, but it became pretty clear after that official visit that it wasn't enough to actually bring him back in. Now people want to know what's going on with Brian Kelly and Notre Dame and, you know, a change of that coaching staff. Would that bring Max Redfield back to USC? Well, that you know, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. It's a little, it's a little, uh, a little hard to kind of wrap your head around all those scenarios happening. Although, I mean, things change with recruiting all the time. Uh, I mean, you know, yep. we're down there in San Antonio, and from earlier in the week, you know, we got guys with, uh, you know, I'm taking this visit, that visit, and this visit, and then all of a sudden that totally changes by that Thursday. And so you've got you know four or five days in between, and things can completely change with kids. And so. You know, that things can't turn on a dime. That could happen with Vanderdose. I don't see USC getting Vanderdose and Ashawn Robinson. The vibe with Ashawn Robinson, he's a real tough read. He's a real quiet dude. Yeah. Um, he wasn't really hanging out with the USC commits very much in San Antonio from what I could see. He kind of stayed with the Texas A&M guys, really just the Texas guys in general, guys that I guess he'd been around um, at different points um, during the year. Uh, they have a chance. It's a possibility he's still going to take an official visit to Alabama, and then he's going to go ahead and take an official visit uh, to uh, Texas, which he's been committed to for a long time. The interesting nuance there with Alabama is that Alabama is actually trying to bring in Eddie Vanderdose on an official visit as well. I just don't see Eddie Vanderdose going to Alabama. He is a little bit of a front runner. He does like those schools that are winning and the, and the teams that have the headlines. You've seen him kind of jump back and forth between those schools uh, in terms of you know favorites and where he's visited. But I just think Alabama's like a bigger thing for him. I, I don't – I just – that's going out to the SEC, going far away from home. And those guys, Eddie Vanderdose, is, they grow on trees out there in Alabama, <laughs> quite frankly. I don't know why Alabama's come out to California to recruit defensive tackles. It's just kind of nonsense. They've, you know, they've got guys lined up uh, in Alabama and Georgia and stuff that are you know, 300-pound defensive tackles, which are pretty athletic. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see that, how that plays out with you've got Sean and you've got you know, Eddie Vanderdose and those two guys. And you know, Michael Hutchings who's known Eddie Vanderdose for a while and was pretty close to Eddie Vanderdose, you know, told us down in San Antonio, uh, you know, the whole thing with Ashawn that, you know, Eddie Vanderdose doesn't want anything to do with going to a school with Ashawn Robinson and Kenny Bigelow when you've got both of those guys. Um, and so, you know, he, he had to get that feeling from somewhere, and you would have to think he got that just from talking with Eddie. Now, if you talk with Eddie directly, he says, oh, I don't, I don't care. I'm not scared of the competition. Um, but obviously, I mean, you know, maybe he just feels like, you know, he doesn't want to go somewhere where you're stacking those defensive linemen. USC's got a pretty good young defensive line on the roster right now. And you've got, uh, you know, Leonard Williams there, who's freshman, all-American level player. You've got George Uko. You know, somebody's got to fit somewhere. I think Eddie Vanderdose fancies himself more as a three-technique than a one-shade type guy, although with those three, four systems that he's looking at, he's for sure a one-shade guy. I mean, no matter what they tell him, I think that's exactly where you want to put him. He's only about 6'2", and you got, you know, 300-plus pounds, very low center of gravity. He's a guy that gets under the, the pads of, uh, you know, an interior alignment really well, and he's really explosive upfield. Um, he's not that bigger, taller, lankier kind of, 
you know, that three technique, which, you know, Ashawn could probably play that three technique more. Um, obviously, you know, Leonard Williams has been successful at the three technique. Usually those guys, you like them to be in that six four six five range, have some height, be able to get in the passing lanes. Um, so I think, you know, that's going to be a dynamic. Eddie Vanderlis is also going to go to Notre Dame. He's already visited uh, Washington and UCLA. This is going to be one of those things, you know, maybe he goes to all these schools and he sees so much. It's like, you know what, kind of comes back to USC. I think right now is a better chance. I, I think of Eddie Vanderdose probably coming back to USC than Ashawn Robinson going to USC. I just, like I said, I just didn't get any kind of vibe with, with Ashawn Robinson. I don't think it's completely out of the question that he could commit to USC. I just don't think it's necessarily a good chance right now. Okay. Uh, this is Earl in West L.A. He says, thank you for such a great show throughout the year. Well, you're very welcome, Earl. This has been a rough six or seven weeks that seemed to go from bad to worse, first UCLA, then Notre Dame. Finally, Sun Bowl meltdown with Max Wittick. At last, we had a ray of sunshine Saturday at the Army All-American game when Max Brown threw a beautiful fade pass into the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. This was followed by a two-point conversion where he rolled out of the pocket to throw a completion for the conversion. He gave us a glimpse of accuracy, mobility, and poise both on the field and during off-field interviews next week he starts at usc i was wondering how he compares at this stage as an incoming spring freshman to his predecessors such as matt barkley matt leinert and carson palmer he compares favorably i mean he compares uh to be you know a lot like wittick um in, in a lot of ways in terms of you know i guess you would say that poise, uh, that ability to, you know, really handle himself with composure, you know, the kind of the intangibles that you have with a quarterback, all these guys that have ended up at USC have had that. Um, I, I think that uh, he doesn't have the big arm that Max Wittick has. Um, he's definitely a guy that uh, is, um, you know, he's kind of more of a manager of a game. He's kind of seeing the field. Uh, he does get outside the pocket well. He does read um, you know, his receivers well as they're moving in space. Um, he, he really does have a good kind of understanding of that game overall. And I think with that comeback that was in play during the Army All-American game, you saw him kind of just zone in a little bit and, and kind of got away from the, hey, you know, we're just going out here and there's a bunch of guys playing and, then, you know, trying to make a play, trying to, you know, get these guys to football. And you could get overwhelmed by that because you know you have limited snaps. You know, in an all-star game, you've got a rotation and you've always got limited snaps. So I think with him, he compares well with those guys. He's different than the two guys that they have on the roster. Like I said, Max Wittick's got the big arm. He's the big, strong quarterback uh, that uh, kind of can overpower a little bit when he's, you know, accurate and he's, and he's settled in. He can just push the ball downfield. Um, you know, Kessler is the guy that's definitely the more mobile of those two guys. Uh, he, you know, can, can get outside the pocket. He can legitimately run and tuck the ball. Um, you know, we didn't see him at all in the, in the Sun Bowl. We haven't really seen him as a backup yet. Uh, but uh, with practice in, in fall camp, uh, we've been able to see him make some plays and do some good things. And really, quite frankly, and I know I've said this before, I kind of felt like from a practice situation, I thought that Cody Kessler was probably the most impressive of Matt Barkley, Wittick, and himself uh, in fall camp and maybe even in spring ball. So, you know, Kessler I don't feel is, is, is far out of the equation here in terms of talking about who that starting quarterback for USC is going to be next year. I agree with you there. He's been really impressive to me. Um... I think he has great accuracy. He's just not, not as strong of an arm. And if that's something that, that Kiffin wants, then uh, that's, that's why he ends up third on that list. Uh, let's go. But I like his touch, and I think his accuracy is good. Um, Chris and Sam Pedro has a question. He said, last week, Gerard made a comment, something to the effect that we could not afford to recruit many offensive linemen in this class. I'm wondering if, you would, if he would elaborate. Watching the national championship game, I was struck at how USC is lacking in strong physical offensive line play and how that was the key to both of those teams uh, even being in that game at all. I don't really care who is the running back or receivers. If we can't dominate the line of scrimmage, we'll never get back to what we need to be. We missed out on two offensive linemen last year, so why shouldn't we try to get four offensive linemen this year? Thanks. Love the show. Chris in San Pedro. Well, they did get four offensive linemen last year. And from a standpoint of both talent and need, they, they need offensive tackles. Uh, they don't need just a bunch of linemen. They don't need to just grab a bunch of linemen for the sake of grabbing a bunch of linemen. They need to get the right players. And unfortunately for this 2013 class, you don't have those prototypical left tackles that you had in the 2012 class. 
So you really you, you don't want to just kind of grab guys just to grab guys. You want to be able to get quality and not just quantity. Um, I, I think, you know, the big issue that, uh, that USC faces is, is the limited scholarships that they have each year. And you can say, well, you know, I don't care who the running back is or I don't care who the safety is. or Until all of a sudden that becomes the weakness of the team. So you kind of have to – you have to spread it out. You have needs. USC needs safeties in this class. They're going to lose three guys with starting uh, experience at, in the secondary at safety. They need some corners, um, and they need running. They need running backs. You know, they don't have a running back that can really run this type of style offense that they want to run. They had a five-seven, hundred and eighty-five-pound running back as their power back last year. That's just not going to cut it. You can't, they could not run on third and short the whole year. So it does matter who you have a running back. The, the offensive line, really talent-wise, is not a bad one for USC. I think they've got some players playing out of position. I think Andre Walker's got to be a guard. Um, Kevin Graff is probably a guard. But, you know, at college level, you can get away with playing right tackle. Uh, and then you're kind of looking, okay, well, who's your left tackle? Well, they had to put a freshman there and Max Turk. And I don't even know if he, that's his, really his position. I think he probably is a guard as you go and move down the line uh, into, you know, maybe playing pro football. But they're trying to make do. I think the interior of the line was really the disappointing thing for USC last year in the run game. Uh, I think they have serviceable running backs. Like I said, they don't have a power back. They don't have a guy that can run on third and two. Um, you know, Silas Red is a good combo back, not a power back. Uh, Moody McNeil, a, a great little combo back, but again, not a guy with power and a guy that wasn't healthy very often. And then you've got DJ Morgan who hasn't been healthy very often, and he's only about a buck eighty. Uh, and you've got the, the elusive and mysterious Buck Allen, who nobody's really sure what to expect from him. So you have all those players that just really they're not getting it done. Soma Vanuku you know, not catching the ball out of the backfield. So your play action, uh, trying to get those easy short dump passes into the flats weren't working last year. Um, they ended up starting, you know, Jaleel Pinner as a starting fullback. That's amazing to me. I mean, that's that shows you the lack of scholarships and the lack of depth that they have when you have to uh, take a red shirt and start a guy like Jaleel Pinner who had one offer out of high school. He had one offer. That was from USC out of Mission Viejo High School. He may have had some more if USC had not offered, but he was not a big-time guy um, as a recruit. So they do need to get some players, and, and you just have to spread those scholarships out, and that's why you can't load up uh, with you know 17 guys. You can't load up on the, on the offensive line. And, and, if it, and granted, if it was a year where they had just guys all over the place and you had Andres Pete and you had Kyle Murphy again and all these guys that you'd love to go offer – and then I would say, no, that's different. You know, maybe they do need to give three or four guys, and they do need to cut back on, you know, no, we can't have a, a linebacker in this class, or we can't have a defensive end in this class, or what have you. But at this point, those that talent of depth at that position is not necessarily there. So you just don't want to take a bunch of bodies and just go, okay, yeah, let's just take four linemen. Two of them are going to be quality guys that we really feel can play at USC. The other two, well... We'll cross our fingers when you can't do that. Not, <laughs> not with 17 scholarships. No. There's definitely a lot of limitations with that. All right. We have one, uh, one last one. Let's end on a voicemail question for you, Gerard. Hi, Ryan. This is for Gerard. There seems to be some uncertainty out there about Darius Rogers counting towards last year's recruiting class or this year's recruiting class. Does USC have 18 spots or 17 with Rogers counting towards this year's class? Thank you. Uh, well, from what we understand, he is uh, really counting towards this class as an early enrollee. So basically, he's kind of uh, the guy that didn't sign in the 2012 class but got rolled over as an early enrollee in this class because he didn't come in at all last year. So he does kind of count towards this class, uh, even though he was a signee in last class, but he's going to be counted as an early enrollee. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter which spot he takes. Um, when you have a mid-year guy like that, uh, they can actually count forward or backwards. So it's it's not that's there's some flexibility there. But with you know twelve spots being taken up for the class of 2012, uh, well, there was really there was twelve spots originally with Darius Rogers. Darius Rogers did not enroll, so there was now really only eleven spots taken. Silas Red comes in, takes one of those spots, and now there's twelve. Now, Darius Rogers is enrolled. He's essentially taken his old spot back, so now there's only two extra 
Now there's 13 from the class of 2012. So um, it doesn't really matter which one you count. As long as basically there's going to be three people counting towards the class of 2012 that are new, including Darius Rogers. Um, now they're bringing in, like Gerard said, they bring in extra early guys. That there's six or seven or whatever guys they're bringing in early. But only two of them outside of Darius Rogers can count towards the previous class. Even though they're enrolled early, those you know four of those guys are still going to count towards the class of 2013. So it's, I know it's kind of confusing, um, but the numbers work out, and uh, we'll see. I mean, maybe USC like we've we've talked about it, and people have said, oh, they they could sign 20, and like we just have never seen that. From what we've seen now, because Silas Red and Darius Rogers do count as initial counters. There's only two extra spots left, 17 new, quote-unquote, new prospects, new players that can come into the program between 2012 and 2013. Uh, that's it. You know, that's that's what we're seeing. And now maybe something different happens, and there's some magic formula that we've, that we've missed, but, you know, we've, we've gone over all the rules, and it, it seems like that's really the only solution for USC right now. And like you, and Gerard said, maybe they only bring in 16 new guys instead of 17, and you roll one of those over – for next year's class, you know, it's hard to say. Yes, I agree. It is hard to say. And so it's just, just going to depend on who's available there on signing day. And, you know, if they feel like those are the guys that they really want, and if they feel like they're coming up short, then they have to make that determination. You know, do we take this guy because he's a body and we need those bodies now to get to 75? Or do we wait and try to build up and get closer, you know, with that 2014 class? That's going to be the last year that they're sanctioned. So after that, 2015, that's going to be a whole other game of charades where we got to figure out, you know, how many guys can actually take in that class and, and can they do any kind of loopholes to, to build that class up higher and how many guys leave off of the – it's going to be an 85 roster at that point. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be all hell will break loose then. But you know, like I said, get to that – cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, blow that bridge up when we get to it. Uh, but, no, certainly and, – and I think – Maybe we can address this a little bit, Gerard. Lane Kiffin deserves a lot of criticism, and we see it on the message boards. We've seen it on Twitter. It's all over the place. Certainly a team that he felt was the number one team in the country going into the season, because that's where he voted them, that lost six games. I mean, a lot of that's on him. There's a lot of other factors in there, too. Uh, but when people poo-poo, like, oh, you anyone can recruit, it's USC, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they have six five-star guys that are committed right now, five of them are out of state. Like not, out of state five stars are not normally, oh yeah, that's, that's, you just plan on getting an out of state five star guy. That's not a normal thing. So to get five of them in one year is pretty ridiculous. He's still fighting for the number one spot. If they ended up getting 17 in this class, they have a decent shot at the number one class in the country. And this, the, the scholarship limitations are significant. It's not just 10 fewer guys each class. I mean, you see all these different little nuances that come up with early enrollees. Oh, you, you, Kylie Fitz might decommit simply because of the numbers as early enrollees. You can't bring in those guys in. It's hard to get early enrollees. He just got too many, and with the spots running out, you know, there, there wasn't enough spots for everybody. And you can criticize how he handled it or how, who they picked or whatever, but, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on because of these sanctions. It's not just 10 fewer guys every year. There's just a lot of little nuances, these little rules in recruiting that you don't really have to worry about most times that this staff does have to worry about a lot more. And it does make things a lot more complicated. No, 100%. And I think, you know, we're here and we're reviewing the actions that have been taken and the things that have happened, talking about the fallout of things. And they are acting and trying to recruit and figuring these things out as they go. And there's yeah. been compliance issues and, and some, some hiccups that have happened where, you know, the compliance people are not on top of what's going on because they're trying to figure out the rules as they go. Because, you know, let's just face it, there's a lot of unprecedented uh, activity coming with this recruiting. Recruiting is completely changed. You have to go back to the SMU days to where anybody's been penalized the way USC has been penalized. And that was obviously a, a day where before you had the Internet and before you had uh, so many other things that impact recruiting you know now you've got twitter and you've got all these things that happen and and these kids you know they talk to each other now you've got these all-star games there's so many different hurdles uh and, and influences that sway kids that it's really not that easy and you can see you know there's weird schools like Ole Miss you know I mean the rumor going around last weekend was 
you know, Ole Miss is going to get Robert Kendiche, they're going to get Carl Lawson, and they're going to get Reuben Foster. Those guys basically got together at the Under Armour All-Star game and decided, you know, let's all go to Ole Miss and just dominate at Ole Ooh. Miss. I mean, you know, Ole Miss, really? Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's just not a powerhouse school that you normally see recruit a bunch of, you know, great players. And so, you know, people can say, well, it's USC. You can do it. No, I mean, every school has to go out there and recruit their butts off. And this is a great, great recruiting staff. And they've always shown that. And, again, like I said, December 7th came around. Everybody was frantic and panicking. And out of that visit weekend, it was all calm again. And then there's everybody, oh, you know, all the guys that are committed, they're going to stay committed. You know, they got back with the staff. Everything's been righted. You know, we have to get through that January 18th weekend before we really know kind of what's going to go on and, and what the temperature of the recruiting class truly is. Um, because, again, the, the biggest variable and, and the greatest thing always working for USC that I've seen since Pete Carroll's been here and this has continued with Lane Kiffin's staff is that the coaches themselves are the greatest asset to the university when it comes to recruiting. I don't think you can just plop anybody in there and say, okay, go ahead and recruit for USC, and they're going to do the job that Lane Kiffin, Ed Erdogan, and the staff has done. Right. That's. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. You can't give them enough credit for what's going on here. And I think the one thing that you should look at you know, it, obviously they could still this class could still get screwed up, but I, I don't think it will. I think it's going to finish in the top three or something like that from rivals. They're going, you know, their average star ranking right now is four point four three or something ridiculous, six five stars. I think you know everyone they had on you know committed went to one of the major two major all star games, which is crazy. Uh, don't ever remember anything like that ever happening. We talked to Mike Farrell about it, um, but I think if you look at the Penn State situation and they're similar. I know it's 65 scholarships, but their initial counters are the same as USC's. It's just for one extra year. They can bring in uh, 10, you know, 15 guys every year instead of uh, 25. Same thing with USC. The exact same numbers for USC except for one extra year. Look at the Penn State situation a couple years from now. There are things that come up, and they're going to use the, the Lane Kiffin blueprint because no one's ever had to do this before, especially three years in a row. I, I, they'll benefit some by seeing what Lane Kiffin had done and how to do that, it could really turn ugly because, you know, without the, the, the highly ranked recruiting classes that really hit right on the nose at, at around 15 or whatever per year, it's tough. And, uh, you know, USC, the, the biggest blow last year, I think those two offensive linemen at the last minute that, that didn't come in a normal year, you could probably fill in someone else to take that spot. But when you lose a five-star guy at the very end, and you, you're down 10 scholarships, it's, it's not a lot of time to make up for it. But watch Penn State in a couple years. If things really start going south when the recruiting classes, they're trying to keep that together, and then you'll know, like, wow, Lane Kiffin really did a good job just keeping this roster together. You can argue how well he did on and off the field and things like that. But as far as keeping the keeping the roster at a, at a manageable level with, a, with talent, enough talent on the team, uh, he's done a really good job at that. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head, though, when you said, you know, on and off the field, it, it does come down to winning. And at the end of the day, if USC wins and they can put together a year that's more respectable, then that will take care of itself. We're not having a lot of these conversations, quite frankly, if USC would have played to, you know, just you know a quarter of the expectations yeah. that were uh you know preseason and and so you know that's got to be the focus too we can sit here and talk about recruiting and get all wrapped up about the number one recruiting class usc has talent that's not an issue um you know you want to be able to maintain talent and have a certain amount of depth throughout this this sanctioned uh next couple of years just because of you know, what you have to do in practice and, and being able to be competitive in practice. Uh, but things have to change also just from the standpoint of personnel and how they're used in practice to maintain that quality of play on the field. Because, uh, again, I think, you know, uh, a lot of the momentum and things that have, that have, that have kind of come this way uh, with the end of the recruiting class has been a dis- disappointing year. It's not that USC lost three, four games. It's USC lost six games and they lost yeah. the Sun Bowl. And, you know, these things kind of pile up on each other. And so it's just got to be one of those things that uh, USC's got to play better on the field. And I think, you know, same going with Penn State. If they're still able to have a quality product on the field, they're going to be okay. It's just one of those things. The margin of error is so much less 
when you're under these sanctions that if you slip a little bit, all of a sudden that momentum, it just comes crumbling down on you like a landslide, and all of a sudden it's hard to dig yourself back out of it. So, you know, at this point, USC had a really bad year. They're trying to, you know, balance it out with a great recruiting class, and so we're going to see if that's able to happen. Um, you know, it, again, some of these decommitments that they've had, they've been they've been really benign, you know, LaRue, uh, Eldridge Massington. These are not, you know, huge decommitments that USC, you know, can't suffer. These, these are commit, decommitments that we saw coming a long time ago and are very, uh, very easily um, dealt with. Uh, from the depth chart standpoint and just from the recruiting class overall. But the perception is that this is part of like this bigger thing that's going on, and uh, it's really not. So it's just one of those things. If, if USC had won you know, 10 games last year, people probably wouldn't be taking it the same way. So the perception and the momentum and these things that go on, it's one of those things that can bear you. So you know, USC, at the end of the day, got to go out there and win games on the field. That is uh... – the 100% most important thing out there, winning games. And talent's there. People that argue, oh, Lane Kiffin can't recruit. No, he can recruit. You want to argue about winning? Yes. Last year, 10 games, very good showing. This year, losing six games, not a very good showing. So, um, All right, Gerard Martinez, he's not feeling that good, but we still kept him on for 15 minutes or so. We really appreciate you coming on, Gerard, and dropping more knowledge bombs as far as USC recruiting goes. Uh, Hope you feel better, my friend. No official visits this weekend, so I think I'm going to sleep because I never really got to sleep since we got back from San Antonio. It's been a, that was a long week, eight days down there in San Antonio of just working nonstop. So uh, it was good. We still got a lot of video, a lot of videos coming up. All the all the recruits uh, that were all the prospects committed to USC. We'll have highlights of each and every one of them. We put up Nico Fala today. We'll have lots of uh, highlights of every guy from their whole week of practice in the game. So definitely check that out. Go to uscfootball.com for more. It's uh, Gerard Martinez joining us. Thanks again. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Trojan Blast edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back on Monday with our regular Peristyle Podcast show. Until then, have a great one. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 